episode of the Habibis. Uh, three Arab game developers drinking no. good Arab tea. Three game developers drinking good Arab yes. tea. Three, three, good. Drinking Arab. Salam alaikum. Welcome to a new episode of the Habibis. Three game developers drinking good Arab tea. My name is Rami Ismail, your host for this episode. And I'm Fauzi Mesmar. And I'm Osama Dorius. Wow, so why do we keep messing up that Welcome intro? to another episode. <laughs> this is the We're first keep, time. I'm just going to practice it. <laughs> I never. I, I think I've messed it up like a few times before, but this this felt painful. It hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever not messed it up, so I feel better every time you That's mess true. it up. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Osama gets his wing. Yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't painful. It was amusing. <laughs> no, to you it was amusing to me it was painful that's usually how that works uh, luckily it's only recorded and a lot of people end up listening to it <laughs> <laughs> Luck- luckily only every listener of the habibis will notice it <laughs> yeah um, luckily they're no, all used well. to it by now yeah oh yeah from you two like they have a high bar for me Come on. <laughs> i mean if, can they even tell us apart i'm not even sure I mean, I think I, I we sound quite different. Yeah. I sound like me, Fauzi sounds like Fauzi, yeah. and you don't even sound like Osama today. <laughs> no, I don't. You know what's funny, though, is when we first started... Okay, wait, you set me up for a perfect segue, and I'm like completely going mm-hmm. in the wrong direction. Uh-huh. So but yeah, let me are. come back to your segue later. I'll say, say it again, Rami. But <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I sound like me, Fauzi sounds like Fauzi, and you don't even sound like yourself. Osama. Well, that's because I had a dentist appointment this morning, and my mouth is extremely numb. So if I start slobbering in the middle of the conversation, <laughs> I apologize. And <laughs> I mean, you two were making fun of me before the show started. I mean, it's just a really good, it's a really good <laughs> kind of sound. Like it's, that's it's, not it's me, folks, great. I swear. It's great next to a mic for it's, people. What I was alluding to before is that I remember vividly that when we first started recording the Habibis, I remember some of the Twitter comments were, I can't tell them apart. And I was so shocked by that because I don't think we saw the like at all. Do you remember that? There's like one or two Twitter replies that were like, I can't tell them apart. We don't sound a lot lot at all. (laughs) (laughs) Stop trying to to do my voice. <laughs> We're all terrible at impersonations, at least. So maybe you do like, sound alike. To everybody else, we sound alike, but to us, I sound like Mickey Mouse. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Osama sounds like. It's been too long since I heard his normal voice. I just sound like a laugh track, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we did have an episode called the Osama Laugh Track, yep, I think. That's true. The, the thing is, like, before doing this podcast, I I never had to listen to myself so much. <laughs> <laughs> I used to dread it, but yeah. you know, it's necessary sometimes, like, especially if you're recording something that someone else will hear later. Now yeah. I'm kind of yep. used to it. It doesn't give me... Yeah, like... Who would have thought getting used to something? I think I think the bigger thing is I got used to other people listening to recordings of my voice. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> I, I do a lot of public speaking, so I'm kind of used to having to watch and listen to myself speak. Yeah. yeah. But having people come up to me and be like, oh, that was a really good episode. I'm like, yeah. Yes, I'm okay in that. What I'm still not <laughs> used to is people referencing things from my life, like out of context, and me being shocked that they know until I realize I mentioned it on an episode. <laughs> right that yep that i will never get used to i don't think <laughs> like in three weeks from now i'll be like how's the tooth oh so like what, what how do you know <laughs> <Tooth>. <laughs> <laughs> i 
I'm, if anybody sees Osama, please just walk by him making it like <laughs> slurp noises. <laughs> oh no, what did I do? Please. I should have just kept quiet. Maybe you wouldn't have noticed. I mean, much. yeah, we wouldn't no, have, noticed, have noticed for sure. I would have totally noticed. Totally noticed. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, enough hey, about uh, me. <laughs> yeah, enough about Osama. Osama, you've been to the dentist. Yeah. Fauzi, what's up in your life? I have been to the dentist as well, actually. Really? Wow. Yeah, but they didn't do oh, anything. You came out better. Yeah, it came out much better. <laughs> I did a tooth guard. So appa- right, apparently, right. I bite on my teeth a lot when I sleep, and now I have this tooth guard mm. thing that I can't get used to at all. I, apparently, yep. I have to I have to put it in and then go to sleep, and then mm-hmm. I'm supposed to sleep better that way. But I'm sleeping much worse for the past couple <laughs> couple of nights. Oh, no. So I'll see yeah. if I can adjust that. Yeah, it'll take some time to get used to. I think I had one for a tiny bit yeah. at some point. Yeah. Let's see how um, that goes. It it yeah. it it almost like feels like I'm preparing for uh, my old age when I have to like, you know, take my teeth from a <laughs> from from a glass of water. I mean, <laughs> just tell yourself that you're getting ready for a good boxing match. Oh, ah, yeah. Oh, that's much better actually. That's it. Right. Like, here's, uh, okay, I'm going to get ready. I'm going to wreck this person, but in case they get a punch in. Yes. In case, which they won't. But when they do, if they do, I have tooth cards. I love that. And then I go to sleep. Yeah, that makes a so lot of sense. <laughs> they get knocked out. First punch. <laughs> you sleep. Speaking of going to sleep, I tried to watch a movie the other day. And then I couldn't. So you couldn't fall asleep, or you gotta watch a movie. Oh wait, this is it. So watch that movie when you put in the tooth guard. Ah, maybe that weird because it's like it's so cringe. I'll be like grinding my teeth the whole time. Maybe. <laughs> oh no! What movie was this? I was watching the new Matrix movie uh, on HBO. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, very polarizing I movie. I found. I don't know. Extremely polarizing. I get yeah. you know, like maybe it's the game dev in me, but I get super pissed when there's game dev in movies. Yeah, because it's <laughs> because not done well, right? It's, it's, it's like there's something so off about the yeah. whole process of making games and how game devs are and act and how game development companies are. Yeah, it just like yeah, it just rubs me the wrong way. You know what it is mm-hmm. to me. It always feels like the people who are making the movie think that making games is the same as making a movie. Like they yeah. really approach this, approach it the same way, same number of people, same setups, same relationships. It's like, I mean, it kind of makes sense because they don't know how it is to make games, but it doesn't make sense because they could just interview us and figure it out, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, Keanu's been to a couple of game dev studios in the past couple of years. <laughs> You've yeah. seen some himself. He might have yeah. advised the, 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 the movie makers. It yeah, might have been worse I, without him. I couldn't finish it. I fell asleep halfway through it. That's why I was, you know, going through it. But I've never felt compelled to go back and finish it, I guess. Yeah. I uh, watched, I think, half of it, so the first hour. I have, mm-hmm. I don't know if you you guys watched this. Yeah, you watched the whole thing. I did. Yeah, I did. I did yeah. watch the whole thing. You know, like I don't mind fan service in movies, but that felt like way too much. Yeah, I think it's kind of the point of the movie. To be honest, I think the entire point of the movie is that that movie shouldn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys feel the same way. I'm yeah. glad that I'm not yeah. the only one. Because like I love but, the Matrix. But, I love the original one. And like yeah. even the sequels. Like you know, I they were disappointed at the time, but there was. There were still things that uh, that I liked about them. Yeah. yeah. Wait, I, I I just thought it was really strange that it went from one to four. 
<laughs> Wait, you liked there's four more four? than two and three. And there's a four. That's what I would expect. <laughs> like I, I, I really didn't like two and three. I'll be really honest. And four, I see what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. It didn't work for me, but it's kind of clever. Like it's a movie that is questioning whether it should exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I liked um, moments in two and three. There were like some characters that were interesting, some like lines that were cool, but overall one was just mind blowing. Like it, it was a, a game changer. And I think the expectations were way too hard, too high for two and three. So yeah. four. I mean, my expectation for two and three was like, just being a good movie. And I don't think it hit it. Yeah. Mm. I don't disagree. I don't, I didn't totally like them, but I, I thought they were, not difficult to watch. Four was difficult to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. But I, th- I think for that reason, I actually like four better. That's so interesting. I'd love to hear more about this. <laughs> yeah, because like here's the thing. I, I didn't love. I didn't love four. Right. Like for for the record, I did. I didn't enjoy my time watching watching uh, the Matrix re blow like re, re- initialized re- or something. back again. Whatever. Yeah. Re re <laughs> restored restored the backups. <laughs> Um, like I, I didn't love that movie, but what I what I did really like is that it, the movie almost, like I said, it feels like it's questioning whether it it should exist, right? Um, and it does it pretty openly. I think there's like a straight up line in the movie that refers to it, um, that you know it's it's not being made from from any good place per se. Mm. Um, and I don't know. I've never seen a movie of that skill sort of like openly be like, but did this need to exist? Mm-hmm. Like, is this necessary? Does this does this help? Is it better now? Are you happy? Are you happy? That was it. No. Right. <laughs> um, and I just, I kind of, I kind of like the ballsiness of it. You know, the, the, the sort of like the attitude. I appreciate that. Um, in that way, it, it feels a little similar to something like, uh, like the beginner's guide. Hmm. Where you play it and you're just instantly uncomfortable with the fact that the game exists and only get more uncomfortable with the fact that the game exists. Mm -hmm. But it's intentional that you feel that way. Um, I think the movie does a really good job of sort of like being like, uh, I see that I'm getting all the things that I hoped I wanted, but also I feel nothing. Um, and I don't know if that's intentional, but it sure felt intentional. So if it wasn't intentional, it's a terrible movie. If it is intentional, it's actually pretty good. Hmm. I feel like, you know, like what, what the Matrix movies missed from the second one onward is that at the heart of the movie, it's like, it's a, it's philosophical questions that, uh, that are presented within a sci-fi packaging. Mm-hmm. And I think like they like as those movies progress they drop the philosophy a bit and they just up the action and uh, the visual effects right. and uh, uh you know the kicking the robots in the face yeah and less yeah. about like you know making you question your own reality or like you know oh, you'd be like oh that's actually pretty neat i never thought about it that way you know like mm-hmm. what yeah. what makes reality reality and all of that stuff these are like all the questions that the original matrix kind of posed and then like since then is just about keanu reeves kicking people in the face which that's what we have john wick for and it works fine yeah I'm, i would much rather john wick <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, like the Wachowskis 
can still do that. I mean, I, Jupiter Ascending was pretty fun, even though it was terrible. I've never seen it. I was warned not to watch that movie. Oh, no. Whoever warned you has no taste in movies. Really? Yeah, no. This is one of the best, worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> There's way. actually an incredible... So, disclaimer, uh, I was actually warned not to watch it by a person who worked on it. So- oh, yeah, no. They're, they're totally right. Like, here's the thing. Let me let me read you one of my favorite pieces of internet writing in the history of mankind. This comes from a website called The Mary Sue, and it's a review for Jupiter Ascending. Mm. Uh, it was written by uh, this article by somebody called Sam Mags uh, in uh, February of 2015. And the headline is, Jupiter Ascending is the worst movie ever. Go see it immediately. It's so stupid. It's beautiful. <laughs> is that is that so the Sam me... Mags that hosted the Game Developers Choice Awards last year? Uh, might be. Wow. You don't have to answer uh, that. Go, go. You could right. keep going with your point. So, what exactly is Jupiter Ascending? Let's start with the basics. This movie is not The Matrix. This movie is not Dune. This movie is not Star Wars, nor is it The Fifth Element. No, this movie is like if all of those movies, plus the music video for the Backstreet Boys Larger Than Life, hmm. and the really weird parts of the Mass Effect trilogy, all got really drunk at a party, and had a massive, uh, I'm just not going to, I'm going to skip that word, uh, while H.P. Lovecraft filmed it. That's <laughs> Jupiter Ascending. The plot is this. The Machowskis were given an extraordinary amount of money to make whatever the hell they wanted. And what they wanted to make is exactly what we all secretly deep down want to make. The big screen adaptation of that Stargate fanfic you wrote when you were 14 that really went off the rails and began to inhabit its own universe, complete with original characters, Wolfmen, and bees. That's Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> I mean, I want to have a serious discussion about the film's plot, but I honestly can't. It can't because it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What about the plot could possibly matter when part of it involves Mila Kunis as the reincarnation of an ancient space princess who falls in love with a Channing Tatum-shaped half-wolf hybrid angel alien with anti-gravity roller skates and a great depth to pay off? Oh, my God. That's Jupiter Ascending. I... I almost want to watch it and terrified of watching it at the same time. <laughs> me too. <laughs> it is incredible. Uh, let, let me let me write. Let me read one tiny part, uh, a little bit further, because it, this goes very long. But um, uh, there are montages where Mila Kunis scrubs toilets. She discovers she is a space princess who owns the Earth when Space Wolf Tatum saves her from Roswell aliens who attack her while she's having her eggs harvested. Her space princessery is further confirmed by bees, who, as it turns out, can smell princesses. <laughs> what? Eddie Redmayne is her space family and he wants the Earth. You may have inferred from the trailers that Eddie Redmayne is this film's antagonist. Eddie Redmayne is literally flawless in this movie. Eddie Redmayne knows Jupiter Ascending is bad. <laughs> Eddie Redmayne knows this perhaps better than anyone else in our solar system, and he does what needs to be done. He swooshes around without a shirt, but with a black ape for two hours, speaking only in whispers, except for the very occasional ridiculous outburst. He is so over the top, I am not sure where the top even is anymore. <laughs> he should win an Oscar. You know what should win an Oscar? This review should win an Oscar. It is <laughs> one of my favorite pieces. <laughs> a new category for reviews of movies in yep. the Oscars. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is this is incredible. 
I'm pretty um, sure that's the same Sam Mags that wrote for video games and hosted the awards last year. Very likely. This is one of my favorite pieces of reading of writing on the internet ever. It is about one of my favorite bad movies in the history of mankind. Um, Jupiter Ascending is incredibly bad, but it's also very good. Okay. Well, it's on my list of movies to watch in the background while doing work. <laughs> right. And the worst case, Fauzi, just go watch it. And if it is if it is actually bad, then at least you fall asleep with your tooth guard. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, you know, I I ended up punching someone in my dreams. Because that's yeah. how boxing works. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> well, on the topics of movies, I played a game that is heavily inspired by movies called uh, Trek to Yomi. Oh. Uh, I think it's on Game Pass. I played it on Steam. It uh, so the reason why uh, you know I moved into this from movies because like this this is like a game that's wearing its uh, its influences on its sleeve. It's clearly influenced by Akira Kurosawa movies. An entire game from start to finish is black and white. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I looked up the the studio that made it. It's a Flying Wild Hog. A studio in Poland, and they're the guys that did the. Let me see. They did the the Shadow uh, Shadow Warrior games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, among others, I like those. Uh, I like Shadow yeah. Warrior. I mean, fun. it wasn't. Yeah, I, I liked a few of the design elements that they had that I never had seen in games before. That's what I liked. So yeah, it's cool. Uh, and it's like the, this game is like very different from all their their other games which is why i thought it's like an interesting thing about like these are the guys that made these games and then this game comes out yeah it's not is, a it, is it as quotable as shadow warrior because shadow warrior had a lot of really like quotable lines uh not yet the entire dialogue is in japanese by the way uh with oh. uh, subtitles i'm not sure if it's available in english i didn't get that uh, didn't go through the options to change it but uh, it's by default in japanese and it feels like you know you're going through the scenes of an Akira Kurosawa movie. It's hmm. in uh, it's in black and white, monochrome black and white. I like the art style. I think it's catchy. Like it, you know, it grabs your attention. Mm-hmm. I do think like after some time, the that that art style kind of like loses its, um, you know, Charm. the spectacle of like the the yeah. the draws you in to begin with. It kind of like you know after you play it for a little bit, you're like yeah, you know, I get it, it's fine. But now like the rest of my room looks overly saturated <laughs> every time I look away from the TV. <laughs> uh, it makes it hard to to distinguish some things. Um, it makes clever use of like silhouette and light, which I appreciate. But like I said, because it's so black and white, it kind of like uh, d- dims a lot of the details of uh, of what the world is. That said, it's like you know, playing homage to the source material does that beautifully. Uh, I want to say it's a side scroller, but it's not because um, it's actually like a 3D in which you play with a samurai that's you know trying to get uh, to protect uh, their village against people that are coming in and killing everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, sometimes depending on where the camera is, sometimes it is you know you're moving side to side, sometimes you're moving you know in 3D for the most part. I I got like some memories of 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 old Bushido Blade games. I don't know if you guys mm. played these like yeah. back on the PS One. You know, yeah, it's absolutely. like you know you know like sword fighting games in which like you could kill an enemy with one or two slices of the sword. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And for the most part, this game is kind of like that. Enemies can't kill you in three or four strikes. Like you have multiple strikes that you can survive. But still, like you know, if you uh, if you don't guard or parry enough, you can still get killed. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, for most enemies, you can kill two or three strikes of the sword. So like, it's about uh, timing your attacks, uh, blocking and parrying. The combat is decent, but you know, it's. Um, it doesn't it doesn't go into a lot of depth like you kind of like well standard kind of set of procedure of what you think of the combat for the sword fights and all of that a relatively short game i think it's like you know four to five hours ish kind of game mm-hmm. a fun ride for the for the entirety of it yeah but that's it like it's uh i wouldn't say it's like anything remarkable something that's gonna stick stick with me for a long period of time but it's a you know competent game for what it is uh, fans of the it. genre will, will find themselves home. I had, I had fun playing it. Good. Okay. Yeah. I felt like, you know, it's a yeah. missed opportunity. There's like there's a lot that you could have done, especially like, you know, if you're leaning closer into like, you know, Bushido Blade style combat. Like I said, the combat for, to me felt that it lacked depth. Mm. So, you know, it's competent. It does the job, but it like, yeah, it becomes... Uh, but given that it's a short game, it doesn't outstay its welcome. But it's you know it be, you kind of know what you're getting into uh, half an hour in the game almost. Mm. And the, so your main gripe was with the combat, not with the, with much else, right? Uh, generally, you like, also it's, said the it's not necessarily a gripe. Like you know, for yeah. what it is, I think the game the game is, is is fun and good. But like I said, I don't think it packed enough surprises to like elevate it to be exceptional or excellent. It just Thanks. I think remained within. Good, good game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. That's I, I, I think I'll give it a try. It might not make it to the end uh, based on that, but uh, I think I'll give it a try just to see the yeah. style and yeah. Let me know. It's on Game Pass. Uh, I think this. Oh month. my god! <laughs> <laughs> our unofficial sponsor. Our, so our unofficial sponsors are um, uh, Microsoft with Game Pass, uh, Sprite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Microsoft for Flight Simulator. Uh, Microsoft for Flight yep. Simulator, that's right. Uh, Bungie for Destiny. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Yeah. And uh, PepsiCo every... for 7-Up. <laughs> and every fighting game maker ever. for Every, every fighting, fighting game maker ever. All the independent developers around the world. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in, indies in general. <laughs> indies in general. I love it. Um, I played a game I could oh. talk about. Mm. Okay. If I don't start slobbering too much. So I, right. I played Rogue Legacy 2. So um, I played Rogue Legacy. I actually bought Rogue Legacy 2 on Steam when it was in early access. And I had finished the first world, the first biome. And then they said like that the second biome wasn't finished and I could continue to the third biome. Because that's how early access can work sometimes. And I opted not to. Because I was like, you know what? No. You know what? I usually don't buy things or play things in early access, but I loved the first Rogue Legacy so much that I wanted to give it a chance. So let's talk about the first like Rogue Legacy in general. It's a platformer, roguelike, where when you die, you're dead, but you play one of your ancestors and you keep that loop going forever. Um, it's kind of a procedurally generated Metroidvania map where you can go in different angles. Then you fight bosses. And when you fight a boss, you don't have to refight them. 
and eventually you get stronger because there's a progression system that allows you to unlock different areas in a castle that give you access to new classes. The classes in the first Rogue Legacy, they, they play somewhat differently from each other. In the second Rogue Legacy, there's a lot more and they play very, very differently from each other. Um, and then you, you can pick up relics and upgrades and things like that. It's a lot of content. It's a lot of fun. I It touches all the right chords for me because I like um, platformers in general, roguelikes in specific. Uh, and I really like the randomness aspect of things. I, I, I like that in games. You know, some people do, some people don't, but I do. Um, now, if you've played Rogue Legacy 1, the main difference I find in Rogue Legacy 2 is the... Um, different classes that exist. So right now, there's they introduced, for example, an archer class who's able to jump in the air. And then if you're shooting your, your arrow in the air, you have kind of like a quick time moment where you're slowly slowing, not a quick time moment, the max pain type moment, you know, slow time moment where mm -hmm. you're falling down slowly as you're aiming your arrow. They have that. So it changes the dynamic of the game completely where you're often like jumping from top of, uh, uh, enemy to enemy, staying in the air like strategically just long enough and then shooting an arrow. But that's like there's so many other classes. There's like one where you're opening up a vortex in, in time and space that just sucks anything in and deals damage to it. You're not exactly a mage, but like it does damage over time right in front of you. There's one class where you're like a, a, a dragon lancer where you, you, oh, there's a boxing class where you actually feels like a fighting game where if you get a combo, you could actually do massive damage, uh, and it, like, it really does feel like it's boxing in a weird way. There's like a saber class. There's a, a chef. Chef. The chef is probably my favorite one because if you hit people with your wooden spoon, it's hot, so you do burn damage. But also <laughs> you can deflect back projectiles if you time it right because it's like a wooden spoon and you're knocking it like a baseball bat. And I, I still even haven't discovered probably half the classes. And there's just so many new ones that are really fun. And they change the way. But what I like about it is it changes the way you approach the game. Oh, a gunslinger, mm -hmm. too, that shoots uh, like bullets. Like, I, I, I keep remembering them <laughs> as I'm going. But there are a lot. There's a lot of content, a lot of variety. And you get excited when you have your favorite one that pops up in the uh, list of ancestors that you choose from after you die. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah I want to play that one. And sometimes you're like, no, I don't like these traits. So, oh, yeah, that's another right. thing about the game is the traits, right? You could play with, uh, like, I'm not going to go into it. There's so many. There's so many different, like, uh, like changes that you could uh, undergo for your character. The thing that I'm liking less is that the first Rogue Legacy, I put in a lot of hours. It was a lot of fun. It seems like this one, they're stretching out. Like, I don't know how, how long it took you all to beat the first boss in Rogue Legacy 1. Um, it took me maybe like five hours, something like that. I've been playing Rogue Legacy 2 for like 15 before I beat the first boss. Oh, jeez. It feels like it's stretched over a much longer time. There's a lot of content in terms of like player abilities and choices and classes and, and traits. There's not as much content in terms of like, like there's no proportionate content in terms of biomes or bosses. At least I, I don't know because like I'm moving through it so slowly, it seems artificially more difficult than the first one. So right. I might not, even though I'm enjoying it, just based on how long I've spent and how much I've done, it feels like I might not make it to the end in this one. 
just because Fair of enough. that. Yeah. So, and it was definitely, definitely harder and longer to get to the end of the first act than it was when I played the early access version. Was it last year or the year before? Whenever it is, I bought it. It looks very similar to the first one. I played a lot of the first one, but I uh, didn't play much of the second one. The graphics seems uh, almost identical. The art style is identical. I would say the graphics are still an improvement over the first one in, in terms of fidelity. Like, you know, they're higher resolution to the yeah, art. Okay. Yeah. Mm, nice. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I don't know if I recommend it yet, but I'm enjoying the beginning of it so far. The first one was a blast. So, like, I yeah. can only imagine that this one is going to be a lot of fun. It is. It is. And so far, it is. I've enjoyed the, the time that I spent with it. It just feels like pro- progress is slowed. That's all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are you playing it on? Yeah, I don't I don't love that. So I bought it again on Xbox, even though I had it on Steam, the early access version that became the main version. I just didn't yeah. find my, myself like sitting in front of the computer to play it again. Uh, so I bought it again on Xbox. It's not available on PS5, to my surprise. No. Mm-hmm. Because original, I think I played on PS4, and this one is on Xbox. It's for me, it feels like a Switch game. I might get it there. Is it on Switch? I'm not even sure if it's out on Switch. Listen, Fauzi, have you have you tried Aegis Rim yet? <laughs> uh, not on the Switch. <laughs> I, fin- I, f- I finished it on PlayStation. It's it's better on Switch. <laughs> it's still very good. Yeah, but it's actually better on Switch. Wow. Also, Nintendo Sports still is bad. Yeah, you played that, right? Yeah, it's still bad. I played it more. It's actually, when you can dock it, it's actually pretty fun with people, but it just feels like it defeats the purpose. No. Anyway, I didn't want to make a segue there. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I just looked it up. And Rogue Legacy 2 is not on Switch yet. It's yeah, on Windows, yeah. Xbox One, Series X, and S. Yeah, I'm playing it on Series X now. Uh, but it feels like it would run on anything. It doesn't. Yeah, the, the reviews look excellent. Yeah. Yeah, so far so good. I'm enjoying it. Definitely give that a go, I think. Um, anyone else played any games? Or can I move on to other things I did that are not games? I I, I have something that's kind of games, but not quite games. Go for it. I Did I talk about the Steam Deck? Yeah. Well, like, Did I talk ago. about like... Yeah, did I talk about not breaking it? No, you you <laughs> talked about breaking it. Yes. Right. So I I uh, I got a new one. <laughs> and uh I installed um I installed Windows and um I put Destiny and uh, it works again. It's great. I tweaked it a little better. It feels like there's been firmware updates and everything runs smoother now, which is great. Good. Well, Buruk, have your second one. Then I also installed Flight Simulator. Okay. Nice. And that also runs well. What? That's Ooh. surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what I thought. I I now have Flight Simulator on my Steam Deck, and it it works pretty good. Um. Obviously, some of the settings have to be tweaked downwards a bit, but you still got pretty good fidelity. The clouds look, you know, like I focus on the clouds and and a few bits of of ground. Mm. Um. Like I didn't care as much about trees because you know um trees but um yeah it just it it works so then i went and i installed halo infinite and uh that also runs pretty okay okay so basically it takes a little bit of effort but 
I think the Steam Deck's biggest superpower is probably its resolution. Because it's only running at 1280 by 800. It only needs to, right? It doesn't need to be more than that. Um, And it turns out that with that resolution, a lot of modern games can run pretty good at 60 frames per second. Hmm. So uh, if you don't, if you put it at like a low to medium setting. So what you're saying is that if you eventually get the dock, you don't expect it to be as performant. Yeah. So that's another thing I tried. I, I hooked it up to my uh, desktop setup through HDMI. Mm. And, uh, you know, those are 4K screens and that just doesn't work. Mm. Um, it it like doesn't work as in you can run the game, but it, they don't look as good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the game will boot up, but also the Steam Deck will literally go on fire and then explode, <laughs> I think, probably. Um, oh, no, you so lost the second that. Steam Deck, Rami? Yeah, the stuff a lot keeps happening. But um, um, if you then force it back to 1280, uh, 12 whatever by 800, you know, it doesn't look as good on a bigger screen, mm. but then it's just completely performant again. Mm. Um, so I was running Steam Deck destiny on my steam deck with windows on my computer setup in my office and i could totally play that that's amazing uh i don't know why i would ever do that (laughs) but i could um are you gonna do the thing where you take the steam deck on a plane and then you fly the same flight on your steam deck absolutely (laughs) i've already done it with my laptop are you kidding me absolutely i'm doing that (laughs) that's great um so yeah that's it uh speaking of flying real quick i'll 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 get one one extra thing in i i did my first solo navigation flight which means i did my first flight from an airport to a different airport without anybody sitting next to me Mm. and it went really well good so that's a big deal yeah a huge deal Uh, which airport was that so I flew from Hilversum Airport to a little airport called Hoogeveen, which is a bit further in the north. And it's one of my favorite different airports because it's about 40 minutes away, uh, like 30 to 40 minutes. But then it's in the middle of this industrial area. Mm-hmm. And just in the middle of that industrial area is just like a big green strip of airfield. So your approach is literally just over buildings. Like you're coming in very low over like roads and buildings. You see all the little cars and the little people walking around and they point at the airplane. And uh, and then suddenly like the ind- industry area stops and it's just grass and then you just put it down there. Um, feels good. Uh, they, uh, they told me to go celebrate by grabbing a drink downstairs. Uh, obviously, uh, I immediately agreed to that because it was really warm. So I went and got two bottles of apple juice and then just drank those, flew to a next airport, not the home airport, a second airport, and then had to go to the restroom there. It turns out you can't pee in an airplane. What? Um, I yeah, accept that challenge. Really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remind me to not bring Osama on a flight. <laughs> what about our in-air podcast? We have to make it work. I mean, I've just understood that I'll have to pay a cleaning fee for the airplane <laughs> after it, which I had not expected. So... It's fine. We'll figure it out. Maybe not. Anyway, that, that was it for me. How, how about you, Osama? You you had you had something else to talk. About. I read a book. A book. Yes, a really good book. So I read a book called Friends: Understanding the Power of Our Most Important Relationships. Oh, thank God, I thought you were talking about the TV series. <laughs> no, 
Uh, although, All actually, right. if I think about it, I think maybe the TV series was mentioned in the book or close. Anyway, the top the book is written by uh, Robin Dunbar. Do you are you, either of you familiar with Dunbar's number? I I wasn't until you mentioned it, and then I looked it up, and I know it. Yes, so Dunbar's number is actually used in in game design circles as well to talk about um, relationships, close relationships, what the difference between them, what kind of rules they uh, and expectations there are between different relationships. So the really really rough version of it is that. Uh, some people have a best friend. You can never have more than one, like BFF. Um, and then they could have five close friends, 15 good friends, 50 friends, 150 friendly people, and then about 1,500 people that they remember, that they know. These numbers fluctuate from person to person a little bit, not as much as you would think. And each level, like people, you're renegotiating who belongs in each level on a on a constant basis and it explains a lot of the phenomena that we have that, that that exist in our lives like when you you see a friend that you really like they haven't seen for a long time you say hey we should do something and then neither of you do anything about that and then you they fall back into your group for example of the 150 or the 50 or whatever it is right we call that gdc yeah. right? <laughs> exactly <laughs> right so it, it was fascinating it was recommended to me by one of my friends who's a studio head actually who said that I would benefit a lot from uh, reading this book because I have a, and I'm, I'm not, I'm sure you two have a similar one, but I have a reputation for having a lot of friends. And, um, but like, it's actually not true. I have the same number of friends of everyone else. I'm just friendly and outgoing. Uh, but it like, we have, we all have limited capacities of how much time it's always a factor of time that we're able and willing to spend with people. And this, the, the, the concept of friends, the term friends, is used loosely. It also includes family members. So some people are close to their family members and others are not, but those family members can exist in all these circles. So I've read a white paper on Dunbar's number years ago about how it applies specifically to online games and what you need to give people in order for them to feel like they belong to a group of a certain size. Um, like things like, leadership a system of governance what happens when somebody leaves like a, a rule of succession uh, a constitution all these things at different um uh, or even a name like if your group is b- bigger than x number like let's say 15 it needs a name if it doesn't have a name people don't feel like they belong to it um and it, it can be uh, it can also be applied to villages and and towns and things like that it's fascinating fascinating you can learn a lot from it so i had already read that white paper and now, for the, like the for the first time, I read the the book as it applies more widely. There was one chapter about online interactions, which dealt most most not mostly, but maybe half of it dealt with online games. Um, but in general, it also dealt dealt with Facebook and what it means to be a Facebook friends and how uh, you you people negotiate that, etc. Things like that. But seeing it just applied more widely, where it wasn't seen through the lens of games, see, just in in terms of li- like a person's life, was eye opening. It was re- I really highly recommend it as a as a as a book. It's easy to read. Um, you could learn a lot. The chapters are very well divided. So even if you jump in and you just read a chapter on one thing or the other, uh, he's clearly a well studied scientist and he's very high, highly quoted in the gaming industry from what I've, I've seen so far. 
and getting to the source of it, I think, is really beneficial for anyone who wants to read more about this. So, yeah, highly recommended book. Go for it. Cool. I just bought it now. Wow, that was quick. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't okay. even give you my Amazon affiliate list. You could have like made me a little bit of money. Oh, well. When it comes to books, whenever somebody recommends a book, I just buy it because yeah. uh, I buy I it on my same. Kindle. Yeah. Uh, and then it's on my reading list. I go through two books a month at least, so I always I could always get more books to read. I do the same, do but the same. I've been favoring audiobooks. So I check first if it, there's an audio version, and if not, then I get the, the digital version. And if not, then I get the physical version, and I never read it. I honestly mostly get the physical version because I'm also still filling up my book cabinet. Mm. So, you know. <laughs> Uh, I will just buy this book. For me, I found that I can read a lot more if I have if I can read on my phone. Hmm. Mm. Uh, because, like um, you know, like whenever I have ten minutes, fifteen minutes, I'm on the metro, or when I'm on the plane, I finish so many books when I'm on the plane. Mm. And it's because of that idea that I have my entire library in my pocket, and yeah. I can read at any point. I just um, get a lot of reading done. Like uh, usually when I'm not studying, so like in, in my the two years now studying, I took a hit. But usually it's like forty books uh, a year, hmm. and it's mostly because of this. Like considering how much games I play and other stuff I have going on, I, I mm-hmm. still get a lot of reading done because I have my library in my pocket. That's impressive. I read closer to twelve books a year, like one one a month, give or take. I used to read a lot more. I just can't find the time anymore. And that's why yeah. I shifted a little bit more to audiobooks because now if I have a long drive, which happens, you know, I, I live kind of far from the center of Montreal, then I just have the audiobook playing while I'm driving. And, you know, so, the, but at yeah. the same time, that means I actually, I'm in the middle of three books at a time, always. I have the the one I'm reading on my phone when I'm like at doctor's appointments, the one or, or flights, the physical book that I, I read in certain setups, like, oh, the weather's nice. I'll go outside and break the book that I haven't touched in three months. Or the audiobook whenever I have a drive. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's because um, uh, I don't drive as much. Like I think driving takes uh, a lot of, like because I'm, uh, I commute, so I'm on a train mm. or something like that. So I could do something else and read. Mm. Uh, and in a plane, of course, uh, I have nothing other but, but to consume uh, stuff. And it's, I prefer usually to either write or read mm. when I'm on a plane. Wow, writing on the plane is hard for me. Reading I can do. Writing is hard. I wrote, I think, most of my book on flights. That's impressive. Yeah, it's like it's, it's like started to like you know I do I do like a regular time audit. So like mm-hmm. I see where where I'm spending my time, mm-hmm. and then I I spot sometimes like these uh, you know dead times like you know mm-hmm. those forty minutes a day commuting for example or. I don't know, those six hours a week on a plane or something like that. And they're like, okay, six hours a week, four times mm-hmm. a month. I could do a lot of that. So Yeah. Uh, for me, it's it's comfort level. I'm not comfortable on airplanes. I'm big and there's not a lot of like, and you need to be uh, a certain comfort level to be able to create. I can consume fairly easily, but I can't create easily on, on airplanes. Yeah, I've I tried. Can. I've tried many times. Like, I get uh, that. Yeah. Fauzi is small. Yes. <laughs> no, he's average. We're big, but it's fine. Compared compared <laughs> to the two of you, tiny. I'm tiny. Tiny Fuzzy. Compared yeah. to the tiny two of you, yeah. that's also why his voice is so high pitched. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is how I sound to you guys because you're, you're, yeah, 
<laughs> Your ears are so far. Oh no! I saw, I saw one of those. I saw one of those Instagram reels earlier today, where where people were saying if you have like a, a partner or a friend that is shorter or taller than you, to put a phone camera at the height of the other person's eyes and point it at the other person, mm. so you can see how you look to each other. <laughs> I totally want to do that with Fauzi. <laughs> <laughs> I might want to opt out of that one. <laughs> one day one, one day. day one day one day <laughs> speaking of one day did we get some emails this day we we have several <laughs> I think we have time to follow, but i could jump into one email would that be okay let's do one okay let's, let's do, do one. email. this is from our friend hani zatar thank you hani for writing in um all right so let's skip to the question part what do you think are the <laughs> gems hidden in people's backlogs? I'm thinking games that are absolutely brilliant, but well, maybe their brilliance is undervalued or maybe they were released in a highly competitive window or just end up uh, on the backlog for any reason. What games do you think can fly under the radar that people should definitely play from their backlogs? Hmm. It's a general question. Just I so, guess it's more about what are your thoughts about people's backlogs? For me, it sounds like uh, under like underappreciated games or like you know hidden gems or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, because my my back my backlog is huge. <laughs> yeah, there's so many games to play. Yeah, my I think appetite like, is way bigger than the time I have for it. So yeah, for sure. How do I say? Like, there's games that I really like that uh, uh, not a lot of people know. Maybe I could go with that. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So, like, I really like the the Nonary games. There's three games that came out. Uh, uh, one is called 999 on the DS. The sequel to it mm-hmm. is called Virtue's Last Reward. And the third one was called Zero Time Dilemma. Mm-hmm. Three Japanese adventure games that I like a lot. For me, it's, like, one of the best stories I've played in video games. Wow. And they're all like big games. Each one of them is like twenty to thirty hours. So like uh, Rami, you, oh, Rami, you liked uh, Ages Rims. I think you would love these games actually. Be- oh, yeah, be- yeah, done. Be- uh, send me the, send, the. Tell me the name one more time. It's called the Nonary Games. Uh, Nonary. Nonary okay. Games, which is the the trilogy, all three games. The first one is called Nine Nine Nine. The second one is called Virtue's Last Reward, and the third one is called Zero Time Dilemma. Hmm. So the you can uh, the if you look, Google them online, they're known as the Zero Escape series. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I think you've talked about this before. Or the Nonary games, like the yeah. I think those, you've those games. You mentioned Nonary games, but yeah, yeah, yeah. underappreciated. Oh, Love them. Oh, I, oh, I done. Uh, another on the list. Another game that I could think about that I don't think a lot of people played back in the day, but I thought was brilliant uh, was Vanquish. Yeah, Vanquish oh, yeah. on PS3. Yep. yep. Yeah. Vanquish on PS3 was a brilliant game. Uh, shooter mechanics with like jet slides into mm-hmm. cover. I don't yep. know why we haven't seen <laughs> those mechanics used in other games because they're yeah. so brilliant. They're just it's so much right. fun. So Recently re-released for people who want to play. Yeah, on Xbox oh, has I think a bundle with it and another platinum game. I can't remember. Bayonetta. Bayonetta. That was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a no, right. little known fact. It was Shinji Mikami that directed this game, and Shinji Mikami is one of mm-hmm. my favorite game directors. He's the guy that uh, directed the Resident Evil games, including mm-hmm. the original. Um, yeah, everything that guy touches gold as far as the games he directed personally, and that game I loved. 
so much fun. Oh, all right. Good recommendation. Cool. Uh, I love Vanquish, so I guess I'm, I'm all on board for all the other recommendations. For me, it's probably going to be... Um, well, I mean, I've mentioned Aegis Rim five million times, <laughs> so I'm not going to mention that one again. There's a game series called Opus, O-P-U-S, yeah. uh, that I really love. The most recent game was called Echoes of Starsong. Mm. Uh, it's super good. It just came out on Switch. can absolutely recommend that series. And then... Um, uh, two games that I think were severely underrated. Uh, Mario Tennis Aces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Super severely underrated. The best fighting game ever made. Sorry, <laughs> all. And then, um, honestly, the game that brought this whole podcast together. I still think Captain Tsubasa, Rise of New Champions, is the best soccer game in the history of soccer <laughs> games. <laughs> that game is fantastic. It's so good. It's so good. It is remarkably good. Because people always think like, oh... You know, soccer games, FIFA is it. But honestly, compared to FIFA, like <laughs> FIFA, FIFA is child's play compared to Tsubasa. <laughs> like you have to get in the box to shoot. No, no, no. You shoot from your own box. <laughs> That's what we do. Uh, so, you know, those three, probably uh, Opus and Tsubasa and uh, Mario Tennis Aces. The goal is also lit on fire. Also helps. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. the minimum. That's how, that's how real soccer goes as well. <laughs> Um, okay, so I have a couple of suggestions myself. The first, stop me if you've heard of it. It's called Flint Hook. It's oh, I love oh, it. Oh, good. Okay, because I barely heard anything about this game when it came out. It's a space-themed roguelike platformer, kind of similar to Rogue Legacy in some ways, um, with a pro- really deep progression system and a lot of abilities um, revolving around the grappling hook. Really well done game, a lot of fun, and very cool art style for whatever reason. Uh, slipped under most people's radar, never heard anyone mention it, didn't make any top 10 list. I really thought it was worthy of people's attention. So if it's in your backlog, go for it. If it's not, put it in your backlog, then go for it. Um, another game that I really like that I would uh, recommend, it's an oldie. I don't know if, I, if you'll remember it either. It's called Galcon Fusion. Wow. Does that ring a bell? Don't know that, no. Okay, it's kind of like a space game where... It, do you remember Osmo, uh, Osmos? Yeah. yeah, it feels yeah. like Osmos. Yeah. It feels like oh, okay. com- competitive Osmos. Right, that's I think is the be- is the easiest way to describe it. I'm all for it. That sounds pretty good. Yep. So you're just moving little triangles from one circle that has a number to another circle that has a number, and if you have more of your triangles in that circle, it, it becomes your color, and then you control it, and then it generates more triangles for you. Is a very abstract way of explaining it, but really, it's like a galactic space. Uh, fighting game simplified to its like simplest simplest possible form uh it's very addictive a lot of fun they have a little, lot of different game modes I, I spent countless hours in- i did play that you know that i looked it up just now galcon you said yeah right? galcon fusion yeah 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 no i did play that that game was phenomenal it was one of my favorite games the year it came out whatever year it came out and it was like one of the games i've never heard anyone mention and i'm very shocked at why because it's it- so good it um it it's very similar to my love for a game called Defcon back in the days, mm-hmm. which was just like nuclear warfare chicken. 
what? Like that was basically it. It was just like a big world map where everybody was maneuvering their missiles around, and your goal was to suffer as little damage as possible, basically. Mm. And you, one of the my favorite things about that game is that you could play it in real time mode. Mm. So the game would just minimize to your taskbar, and then you could play for like, you know, days with a group of friends. Yeah. And then you know when you go to bed, you would check and be like. Gonna have you ever played Neptune Pride? Nobody's gonna ne- Neptune Pride Two. I think I have. Yeah, it's so it rings a bell. It's so good. It's like that too. It's like playing Risk, but each turn takes twenty four hours, and you're waiting for yep. all your friends to do that one <laughs> turn. Yeah, we had to stop because it was like taking over our lives. Like we yep. were talking about it way too much, and for the people, and and you can make like thirty person games. So like you could include friends and friends of friends and friends of friends of friends and the politics involved was huge. Neptune's Pride Two is amazing. That wasn't even on my backlog list. I just mentioned it because you mentioned DefCon and Galcon right. Fusion, and they're all kind of similar. Uh, we uh, we should play a game of DefCon. I think we would we would have some fun some fun politics. I'm in, or we'll hate each other. It's one or the we other. We should open it up. How many players is it? Uh, it support it should support. I mean, I've played it with may, way more than three people, so that should totally maybe work. open up to a few people from the Discord and see. Maybe like a Habibi's. Anyway, I have one more game. I didn't finish the one more game. Okay, yeah. okay, you have you have you have very little time okay. because we're at the end of our available time for everybody recording. All right, all right. Soulforge. It's a card game. Oh. I really like card games in general, but what I really like about this one is it uses the medium where it's a digital card game. It was one of the first card games to do that because it allows you to upgrade cards. Something that would be actually really hard in a physical medium is actually super easy in a uh, a digital medium where cards have levels one, two, and three. Some cards are terrible at level one, amazing at level three, and it's about patience. Other cards are terrible at level th- uh, uh, the other way. Whatever I said, the opposite of that. And that's <laughs> it's all about like risk reward. <laughs> I can't remember what I started with, but it's it's really clever, uh, very good card game that I spent a lot of time in. Also, never heard anyone mention. Um, so yeah, there you go. Backlog game. It's so awesome. funny. It's so funny. You put the sama under time pressure. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's just really fun. And it's even. And it's even better when he has a hard time speaking. It's super good. <laughs> anyway, for everybody listening, if you have favorite games backlogs, send them over email to info at thehabibis.com so Asama can read them to you or just, you know, have a chat on the Discord. I'm sure we'll check for any gems that you're putting out there. For now, we're going to put a <laughs> e on this one. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're so mean. Butter. <laughs> is, that butter. Name, is that the name uh, of the episode? Slurp? <laughs> slurp. Done. Done. That's it. Um, for everybody listening thanks so much for listening in we'll be back next week with another episode of the Habibis for now uh, please you know do the whole subscribe talk to your friends send us emails check out our discords all that stuff Aslam Salam Salam That was the Habibis podcast for this week. I was Rami Ismail, your host for this episode. You can find me on Twitter at T-H-A underscore Rami. My fellow Habibis were Osama Dorias, who you can find on Twitter at Osama Dorias. And Fauzi Mesmar, who you can find on Twitter at Fauzi Mesmar. Send us your questions, stories, and suggestions via info at thehabibis.com. The intro and outro music was provided by Malik Zubaila. And the logo was provided by Ibrahim Hamdi. 
The Habibis is a weekly podcast about three game developers drinking good Arab tea. With new episodes launching every Friday, inshallah. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting service or check out thehabibis.com for more information. Thank you for listening and salam.